While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area. that type of therapy podcast. Welcome folks to Mental Health Quest, the therapist office and beyond. We're here to answer your questions about mental health, including how to access it, what it looks like, why should you do it? All of the above. And so much more. Hey everybody! Welcome back to Mental Health Quest, our 14th episode. And we are covering uh, addictions this episode. So, of course, I'm here, Charlene McPherson. I'm the LCSWC and my co-host... Benjamin Tights, Registered Psychological Associate. And we have our special guest, expert guest on today, Natalie! Hi, I'm Natalie Williams, Associate Clinical Social Worker. Yeah, I'm actually going to do a really fancy intro for you, Natalie. So, for our listeners, Natalie is an Associate Clinical Social Worker with a Master's in Social Work from California State University Fullerton, my alma mater, Go Titans! Uh, She works from a non-judgmental, collaborative, trauma-informed, attachment-based lens. She has experience working with individuals who suffer from depression, anxiety, substance abuse issues, codependency, relationship issues, survivors of trauma, bonds, abusive relationship, parenting challenges, anger, low self-esteem, grief, ADHD, PTSD, and complex PTSD. Natalie has specifically worked in substance abuse treatment for six years in residential treatment settings. Natalie uses an open, integrative form of psychotherapy that adapts to the unique needs of each specific client. Welcome, Natalie. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really excited to be here. Yay! Today, like I said, we are covering um, addiction. The whole reason why we do this podcast is to reduce stigma surrounding all sorts of uh, mental health diagnoses. Um, And of course, addictions is no different. Um, There's tons of stigma surrounding it. So we want you to actually get the real information around these type of addictions and things like that so that you can help yourself or anybody around you um, that may need help. So... Our first question, like always, if you're a longtime listener, you know, is what is addiction? Defining what addiction is. And Natalie, that's that's your cue. <laughs> All right. Well, addiction. Addiction is so complex. I just want to start out with that. There's just so much to it. Um, but the first thing, you know, addiction is a surface level issue for a deeper problem, I would say. Usually, 
I would say there's a lot of complex trauma with addiction, which is, which kind of goes hand in hand with attachment trauma. I think Um, mostly what I see is people who have been through a lot when they were younger, um, didn't really learn how to process their emotions properly. Maybe they were dismissed a lot when they were younger. Maybe they had a big trauma that was dismissed or just a trauma in general, but as people get older, basically they just don't want to feel the emotions that come with the trauma and the addiction is a way to not feel, I would say, um, an aversion to emotions, not wanting to feel your emotions. So using an addiction to numb or to dissociate from those intense feelings and it's, it's so stigmatized. And I, I really, I really believe that there's just so much to it. And if you, if you knew the people that have addictions, you would see how big of hearts they have and how much, how much ability they have to feel. And they just don't want to feel all the trauma that they've gone through. And that's what I see a lot of the times, but there are so many other complex things that I could add in there as well. So once again, listeners, uh, I think we're, <laughs> we're finding a theme across most of our diagnoses yeah. <laughs> um, is trauma, right? Um, you know, we talked about PTSD, we talked about, you know, depression and things like that. Um, but even with autism spectrum and, you know, ADHD and everything, there's trauma in the background of a lot of these, a lot of these diagnoses. So again, that's what makes it even more important, which I loved in your, your, your little description there that you are trauma informed that, and that is why having a trauma informed therapist is so important because trauma really, really permeates a whole heck of a lot of mental health stuff. So definitely, definitely seeing the theme. And, you know, as, as we've also seen with the other diagnoses, and it's really no different with uh, addictions, that it's almost, especially with these disorders that have a behavioral component to it, like the disordered eating that we covered in our last episode, and now with addictions, the behavior that you're doing is, really you're doing it to help yourself. It's not that you're trying to be bad or trying to be sick, but that you, it's, I guess you can really just call them maladaptive coping or just not helpful coping skills. And I've seen that, you know, with what you said about how the trauma and and the like addictions that they just don't want to feel their emotions. I've definitely seen that in in my work in, in the clients that I've seen that, struggle with addiction it it, every single one of them said that they use to avoid uh the uncomfortable emotions of pain of hurt of fear of anxiety And, and when you really go deeper there's definitely trauma in there whether it be abuse or whether it was just you know that kind of social component where they weren't really validated as a young person it can still be traumatic for someone and if they don't know how to regulate those emotions, then they're going to seek something that can regulate for them. In this case, that's the addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's something I'm like obsessed with is refuge recovery. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. No. Can you explain that? It's a recovery program based on Buddhist principles and whether you're Buddhist or not, like it's pretty cool. 
it is uh that sounds awesome you can't see my face, but I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like the most awesome thing ever. Oh my gosh, you have to explain this now. <laughs> so when I read the book for the first time, I was just blown away by the descriptions that they give about addiction. And I'm, I would have totally, like, it just came to my mind. I would have said it in my first, what is addiction? But um, so it talks about how humans, we crave stability, we crave homeostasis. And so addiction is a way to control the pain and pleasure that we experience and so when you accept the outcome when you accept that life has its ups and its downs which is just called impermanence is one of the principles that they have in the book impermanence is basically that life has its highs and lows and addiction is a way to control the highs and the lows and when i first heard that i was like whoa that like blew my mind because we're using addiction to control, make the highs last longer and the lows to go away faster. And so, but when you do that, it doesn't work forever. It only works for a little bit. And then it starts getting to where it doesn't work anymore at all. And I could get into the whole dopamine thing, but that's, you know, maybe that's something dopamine is, if, if you guys, you know, research dopamine at all. Yeah, so like um, uh, searching after that dopamine hit, basically. Like mm -hmm. I'm ADHD, so mm -hmm. uh, I know that everything I do basically has to have a dopamine hit within it because I won't be able to motivate myself to do it unless it has that dopamine um, release in it. Totally, me too. Actually, yeah, I, <laughs> I, do. I think a lot of therapists do. But um, yeah, so it's basically and that plays in a role in it as well like that high the dopamine burns out and then mm -hmm. when we're getting that high constantly it eventually burns out and then so that solution which is the addiction solution to the pain doesn't work anymore mm. and the solution becomes more of a problem than it solves exactly it's a solution you know it can be a solution for them in the beginning you know mm -hmm. for it's a solution to the trauma, right? Yeah. And so I think that's where like the um, stigma needs to be taken away because it's trauma. They're just trying to survive. Like humans, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to feel normal and okay. And and we hate pain. We love pleasure. We hate pain. And that's mm -hmm. if you want to check out Refuge Recovery, like it is so cool. They have meetings all across the nation too. You can start your own meeting. Like it blew me away. So pass that along as well in yeah. podcasts. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That sounds amazing. And actually, it makes a lot of sense that it's coming from the Buddhist mindset because I, I think we've mm -hmm. touched on mindfulness a bit in other episodes, but we will definitely have a whole episode about mindfulness-based therapy. Mindfulness-based therapy is actually very useful in treating uh, addiction because it's all about understanding the emotions and being aware of them and being able to accept them. And yeah. if as you said, if they can learn to accept the highs and the lows, then it's not going to affect them as much. It's not going to be as painful. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of have a question, you know, you were talking about the, the, it no longer working and that's where like tolerance comes in, right? Like right. that's when you hit that tolerance level and you have to go for more or you have to go for something different that you know, is maybe a harder drug or whatever, because you've kind of hit that tolerance point where it's no longer working. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about there. 
Yeah, so um, there's this really good video on YouTube, if anyone wants to check it out. It's called The Neuroscience of Addiction 101. Um, and so it talks about all the the ideas behind dopamine. And so when you, I'll give an example with like meth and cocaine, for example, that raises the level of dopamine to the max out of any other drug. Um, when you do meth, so it goes up, right? So there's like an up and then that feels really good, but then it dips lower. And then over time, the ups, like if you look at brain analysis and stuff and the dopamine lighting up, the ups get lower and the lows get lower. You bottom out more. And then, you know, if bringing in alcohol too, like if you drink a lot that night, the next morning you're going to feel bad because the dopamine is gone from your system. It's it's needing an extra boost. And that's why people start drinking in the morning. They start like, at first they don't have to, but then their dopamine starts bottoming out and then they have to start drinking. And so one of the solutions that they talk about in the video is like taking anti-craving meds, which helps with the dopamine get, getting back to normal. And so it takes about a year or two for the dopamine levels to get back to normal. Um, so the first year of treatment is so important to like do all the things like exercise and being outside and getting that natural dopamine. Yeah. And, and I want to point out right there that, you know, the stigma surrounding addictions is like, it's a behavior. You should have control over it. You should have, you know, but what you're saying is, is the main treatment for this is we have to have a medical intervention basically, uh, for your dopamine levels and things like that. So I just want to make sure people are hearing that, that, you know, it's not just behaviors. It's not just exercise. It's not just, you know, uh, not doing the behavior, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people need a little bit of medical help to be able to even start that mm -hmm. process. Um, yeah. and so, you know, the stigma surrounding, you know, addictions isn't, founded basically yeah it's yeah. it's a lot of the stigma is oh well they chose this well right not really because if you look at when we're talking about how they're trying to absolve themselves of pain right when you're in that kind of pain you don't see a lot of mm. options and so yeah to them it's not like they really had much of a choice because the alternative was the pain and I, you know, considering how much trauma a lot of the people who struggle with addiction have gone through in their lives, I would challenge any of those stigma producing people to try to deal with the pain on their own without external help. Um, because, I, and what I, and I'm going to repeat this again, it's, they're trying to make themselves feel better. That is something that we should be in encouraging just in a healthy way so the 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 intent of addiction is not bad they're not making a choice to do something bad and not at first not initially it's only later on when basically their dopamine levels have bottomed out they have they literally can't deal anymore that that becomes the only option yeah 
Um, but I remember when I first started working with uh, substance use treatment, um, I, uh, I was working at, in a psych hospital and we got a lot of people there with addiction. Um, and myself and one of my coworkers had gone to a training um, about motivational interviewing for uh, addiction treatment uh, to like to learn how to assess and work with them. And the questions that they were like encouraging us to ask our clients was not, you know, uh, why did you use drugs or, you know, like all this stuff is, it was actually, what is good about the drug? Mm, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, because while a lot of therapists tend to like, you know, want the clients to be able to identify the negative impacts and obviously it's important to identify negative impacts, but it's, I think more important to be able to recognize there was something good at first. And it, I think it helps the clients to be able to recognize that, oh, see, I chose this because at first it was good. And it takes a lot of that self uh, stigma away from the client and the, the shame that they feel so that way they can recognize, okay, it's not that I'm just horrible at making choices. No, I, I, I chose this because at first it was good and I felt alive and I felt powerful. That phrase, powerful, oh my God, I, I heard it so many times. And because they thought that they were weak otherwise because of the pain. And we, we heard that when in our trauma episode, that people think that they are weak because we're experiencing trauma. Yeah, and, and so I've been in the field for 12, 13 years now. So some of the words <laughs> that I was taught when I was in school, we don't use anymore. But like, that's, what we, that's why we would say self-medication, right? Like, this is literally someone... You know, and and it doesn't have to be trauma. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could be bipolar. Um, you know, that's a lot of the times why um, bipolar clients get into substance use is because they're trying to manage the manic and the depressive states that they they go through. So, you know, it really is searching for that solution to be able to function. Things aren't going right. I know they're not going right. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to, you know, make it go right. And this seems to work. This is easily accessible. I don't have to justify my treatment to my insurance or my family or my friends. Nobody's going to, you know, the people who are around me while I'm using accept me for who I am. You know, uh, why would I use any other you know, way of dealing with it, right? You know, it's very, very, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say tempting, but it, it's accessible. It's like, it's, you know, uh, I've just was complaining about the mental health care system earlier today, like with a, with, uh, some friends, I'm like, it is hard to access. Mm-hmm. You have to call numbers. You have to know what your insurance is. You have to know what your copay is, you know, stuff like that. It's like when you could just, you know, take yeah, care of it yourself. Definitely. You have to be vulnerable to, to be able to reach out. It's so hard to reach out sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I would even take that to addiction is survival. Like when you go back to just like, we're still very primal beings and we're, I mean, we've only been industrialized for what the iPhone. I got my first iPhone in like 2010, 11. 
you know, and so that's not very long ago. And so as humans, we're trying to navigate this world and trying to figure things out, but we're still very primal at heart. And so it's addiction is survival, you know, it's also attachment trauma too, because um, addiction is our friend. It's our, it's always going to be there. You know, it's, it's relational, it's a relationship. And so a lot of times when I have my clients write a goodbye letter to their addiction because it helped them. It helped them survive. It was their friend, but it turned on them. And so it always turns on them, right? Like, like you said, like we don't take that first drink or, you know, smoke that drug and think, okay, in 10 years, I'm going to be on the streets. Like they don't think that, you know, like, they don't, that's not their intention going into the, the addiction. It didn't start out like that. It was just maybe a fun time that turned into a survival mechanism for them. Well, and who knows too, like there's plenty of people out there that are also exposed to, you know, addictive behavior at a young age, mm-hmm. right? Like their parents or friends or, you know, the neighborhood or whatever is going on. Right. And I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about all neighborhoods because it's just the difference between like cocaine or crack it's the you know uh (laughs) there's still in every suburb there's there are you know drugs and and addiction as well but like if you're exposed to that at a young age and don't even understand the implications and it's all you've ever known like then why would you seek out anything else you know what i mean like your parents taught it to you so this is what we do this is what we do when we're feeling pain this is what we do you know when we can't you know we don't like what's going on or this is what we do to have fun right so it's like it also becomes almost that that family systems thing too right like you're learning from your family how the world works okay well if the family members are like yeah this is how you deal with your emotions (laughs) is to, you know, through addiction or substance use, then, you know, that that cycle is more likely to continue. So, you know, it definitely is not as easy to get out of or, you know, avoid or whatever that that people think it is. And again, that goes back to stigma. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's we as humans, we watch other humans and what, what do they do? Um, if our parents or caregiver said, don't cry, you're okay. You know, and that goes down to relational trauma. Like, okay, I, I'm learning that my emotions are not okay. My emotions are bad. Emotions go away. What's, how can we make the emotions go away? And then you see your parents, you know, pick up or like use their addiction to like, to cope. And so we learn, okay, that's how we cope. And then, so a lot of the, it's almost like exposure therapy to emotions when people are, um, individuals are getting sober. It's like, you're going to feel a lot of emotions and just allow yourself to feel them without judgment. And then you bring in the mindfulness again, as well as a, one of the best solutions for um, recovery from addiction. I think, uh, it's really interesting that you kind of 
put in that exposure therapy for the emotions during the treatment. And I think this is a good kind of transition point to talking about treatment styles for addiction. Um, because it is, as our listeners might remember from our anxiety episode, um, our, our guests had talked about exposure therapy, which is okay. You slowly, but you know, incrementally expose yourself to the thing that brings you fear. Well, in substance use treatment, especially at the onset, when someone is, in most areas, and I'm only going to speak now for California and specifically Orange County area uh, where I work and where Natalie works, um, a lot of times the first step is a detox uh, center, which is literally it's a, a place where you go and you are forcibly like away from the, the drugs and your body goes through withdrawal um and that is a very uncomfortable process um because your body has gotten used to this substance or this behavior or this whatever it is that was the addiction and now you're not giving it when it thinks it needs it and so that's it's not just exposure that's flooding uh which as our listeners will remember that flooding is when you just throw them into the deep end. But oftentimes that's a necessary first step with, uh, with addiction is you gotta go through that really, really painful, uncomfortable moment and in a couple of days of detox. And then you can actually start the work because you're basically flushing your system. And I, when I talked with clients who have gone through that, you know, they, they don't mind talking about their addiction. They don't mind talking about their traumas and stuff like that in therapy. They just don't want to talk about the detox experience because it's almost just as traumatizing as the original trauma. Yeah, definitely. And, and going into treatment again, um, when you're going through that, the best thing to do is, I mean, I've seen people like connect with people they've never known um that they just met last week and they're like i'm telling you things i've never told like my closest family and friends um and so having that other people around to go through it with safe people right you have to be in a safe you have to feel safe you have to feel connected and i and i know that's not the story for all treat residential treatment centers but if you can find just a good group to go through it with, that is so healing. It's like the beauty of group therapy is also like healing through each other. And so I just wanted to add that in there because I've seen like the most intense connections that like helped people get through that really rough time. I was actually gonna, I was gonna like comment on that or ask like, you know, I would, I would imagine being around other people who get it, you know, um, is very, very powerful, um, and is a very powerful support system, a very powerful, um, kind of tool to use to help people kind of stick to it when they're going through something that hard. Um, cause again, uh, okay. I, sorry, I'm going to, kind of switch gears a little bit here but like tiktok right i'm on tiktok way too much as a 36 year old um but this this one dude made a uh he was like okay 
you know, every animal is born with their most intense defense mechanism, right? Like horses get up, they run, you know, uh, tigers bite, you know, what do humans do? Humans cry. Wow. What is crying, but asking for help. We depend on other people to keep us alive. And so like, the more and more I live, the more and more I do this work, the more and more I live my own personal life, the more I truly believe that, you know, asking for help is one of the hardest things to do, yes, but it's one of the most healing processes that you can use to get through anything. And it doesn't have to be a group. It could be one person. It could be, you know, a therapist. It could be you know, a doctor, or it could be a friend or a family member or whatever, but like reaching out for help and not trying to go through something alone is just way more powerful um, and and more likely to succeed, I feel like. Um, and so like having that community around you, um, you know, when you're going probably through one of the most horrible things you've ever felt in your life, you know, having people around you to say, dude, I know, like, it sucks, but once you get out the other end, you'll be okay. You'll be all right. Like, let's get through this together type of thing. So, um, you know, if you get anything else from our podcast, reducing stigma and all that, but also just, you can't do this stuff on your own, no matter what it is, whether it's addictions, whether it's mental health stuff, don't try and do it on your own reach out for help, find someone who can support you because that's our greatest defense mechanism. That's our greatest strength is to be able to, to help each other out. Uh, sorry, I got a little ph- philosophical there. No, I love that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, it, it reminds me, um, you know, currently I do a lot of group therapy in my current practice, which is more forensic based, but uh, it reminds me of, you know, so Yalom, for listeners, is a psychotherapist, you know, who teaches a lot about different therapy styles, specifically group therapy, and the the element of universality uh, in the group. The clients are, yes, there's, the, there's a therapist there, but the therapist isn't there to actually really tell the answers. The therapist is there to facilitate, to provide that space, to kind of hold up that frame the group is actually the one providing each other with the therapy because they understand each other. They've all been there. Whether you're, it's a group for addiction, whether it's a group for depression, whether it's a group for whatever, you're more likely to listen and believe your group peers when they're telling you that it's doable and that there's hope and everything because, well, they understand you. They've been there. They're literally you. You're more likely to listen and and get the benefit from the group than you actually are from the therapist that's leading the group. And that's the great thing about the group therapy kind of model, specifically with addiction, because um, that stigma of addiction, it also brings up a lot of shame. And... I don't know about you two, Mm -hmm. but I've had a lot of clients when I've been meeting with them individually, whatever, that they're like, you don't know what I've been, you don't know what it's like. 
Like you can't know what I'm feeling. And I mean, unfortunately it's true. As a therapist, I, I know the theoretical, I know logically what they are going through. Like I can read a DSM and I can say, oh yes, you're going through X, Y, and Z. But that's not the same thing as really knowing their experience. Um, and so as a treatment method for addiction, that group setting um, or in a residential setting where there's that camaraderie, there was, there's that peer support, uh, in my opinion, is very beneficial because there's that universality. Wow, these people know me. They've been there, like they understand what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, um, the beauty of group therapy is just not feeling alone. And like, they've felt alone for so long and coming to treatment. Wow, like, I think you're such an amazing friend and you've done that too. Like, but I think you're so great. It's like you said, like, you're talking to yourself, like, you're still okay, even though you have, you know, maybe have gone through an, an addiction. So yeah, that's the beauty of the relational healing that comes through any kind of, I think, relational healing. And that's why the, the therapeutic relationship is so important. That's why I know not to like uh, toot my own horn, but the, this is exactly why I do what I do, which is run D&D uh, social skills groups, Dungeons and Dragons social skills groups, because if you're not ready to sit down and have that conversation yet, that deep conversation, <laughs> uh, I put you in a party anyway, and you end up talking about it anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, you just talk about, like, I've had clients just sit there and not even want to talk. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you like to do? You know, like, tell me about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, let's talk about what you like to do for mm -hmm. fun. Like, I'm not gonna sit down and say, like, if they're scared, like, tell me everything about your life. That's horrible. You know, like, I'm gonna talk to you about, like, just connect as a human, human to human, and just have fun and laugh and then later we'll, we can talk about some stuff yeah that's when it comes to treatment styles for addiction specifically this is again it goes with that universality so now not only have they connected with their group mm -hmm. peers but now they see the therapist as a human too because believe it or not listeners um a lot of clients don't believe that therapists are human uh, in the sense that, like, oh, well, you can't know me as a person because you're so high up there as a therapist. It's like, what? High up there? What? <laughs> what does that mean, being high up there? Like, does that mean I get money? I have no money. What are you talking about? But, um, <laughs> but quick quick note for, for listeners. No, therapists cannot read minds. Uh, that is why we ask questions. To connect with a client based off of their just personal <laughs> life, not even of the issue that they're there for therapy, the, their interests, their hobbies, the, you know, the books that they like to read, the TV shows. I mean, Charlene does her D&D thing. I talk about comics and Marvel and DC and, all, and Star Wars and stuff like that with my clients. And they like, oh, wow, you like the same things. Yeah, well, let's just talk about that for... We'll do that for however long it takes for you to feel comfortable with me. Yeah, and I always joke too, like, a lot of people, I see the D&D group as an access point that's unintimidating, so you're not sitting down across from someone who's going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, like you're, you're 
still working on things, but it's, you know, through your character and not, not on your own. Um, but <laughs> like, they know that I'm not going to judge them as a therapist because I'm down at the other end of the table doing a goblin impression that has a New York accent <laughs> uh, and it's talking about the money and the, the, the this and the that. And they're like, okay, this lady literally cannot judge me because she's down there talking like a goblin with, you know, some sort of <laughs> accent. Like, okay, you know, I can connect with that person um, on that, on a level where I can trust them because they literally like are just like out there like doing that stuff so um again i think that connection right is is the main piece we're talking about and that's that's usually what you know even when i was taught back in the however many years ago the rapport rapport building is the most important part and i find that um connecting through an interest uh, cuts that time in half, especially <laughs> if you're a nerd <laughs> and, and you really, really like a certain like subject. As soon as I find my D and D nerd clients, they're like, "Oh my god, I did this at all!" Yeah, 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 yeah. And they talk about their all their characters and you know what they did and things like that. So again, that connection, I think, it, you know, uh, bringing it back to addictions, like you know, similar experiences, similar feelings, you know, those type of things can, can really help support somebody through a really rough time. So it's, it's just exciting to hear, hear people talk about, or, or clinicians talk about ways to help instead of stigmatizing. Oh yeah, you got to work with, oh yeah, no, I got to work with substance use, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, like this is, this is, trauma this is work that we need to do um because people are suffering two comments on that specifically when it comes to addiction um you'll get when you're when as a clinician when you meet anybody and you're telling people that you're a, a therapist right you'll get you know certain responses like either oh wow or oh wow uh depending on you know what kind of work you do right and when you work with addiction that's typically you're going to get the, oh, wow, because there's that stigma. But I always word it as not, I, you know, have to work with addiction. I get to work with it um, because this is, I mean, think about it. Why do we become therapists? Because we want to help people. So right. these are people in need of help. Like they are probably one of the most vulnerable populations of, of mental health clients um short of like serious psychotic illnesses it's also okay this is society has shunned people with addiction basically since the history of mankind mm -hmm. so for us to be able to mm -hmm. put ourselves in that space with the client and say you are not alone your emotions are uncomfortable but they are yours and you you know, can be whoever you want it to be for people with addiction who probably never heard that before. Like, I mean, how many times mm -hmm. do your clients with addiction tell you that they've lost, you know, family connections because of the addiction, you know, people give up on them because it's not, it's not something you can just, Oh, stop your behaviors. It's not like you can just get over it. 
which is another stigmatizing thing that every time I hear that I want to punch someone. It's survival. It's neuroscience. Like I wish people knew that it is neuroscience. Literally, yeah. if you look at the brain scans, if you look at the dopamine, it's dopamine and survival go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just wanting to survive yeah. and neuroscience. Like it's, a, it's science. It's not. Yeah. It's medical. It's medical science. Yeah. When it really, when you really come down to it, it's not something you can just stop. It's your brain's lighting up. It's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a brain that. disorder. And that's, that's the thing about addiction or any mental health issue, but it's the brain. So. Yeah. I get so, I get so passionate about that. I'm like, cause my clients that I've worked with in addiction, like they're the best. And you know, I just like love, working in addiction because I just have had such good work. They work so hard, especially clients that come to treatment. Do you know how hard that is to step through that door? And I tell them that all the time. I'm like, this is so hard. Like, look what you, like you're trying. That's all that matters right now. Let's just start here. Yeah. And so I think that is a great place to end the the conversation on uh, addictions and, and uh, just basically we're here, therapists, we're out here, <laughs> we're, uh, we're here to help and you have peers that are here to help, just reach out for help and we'll be there. So uh, I, I wanted to go ahead and thank our listeners for uh, supporting the podcast If you all enjoy our content, please rate and review us on iTunes so that others will be able to find our amazing content. Also, we're here to answer your questions about mental health, so please, you know, email us any questions you may have that we can cover on the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us individually, mentalhealthquest1 at gmail.com, or we are on Twitter and Facebook at MHQ, capital P, podcast. And then we always like to make sure we talk about where you can find all of us individually. Natalie, where can everybody find you? So I have an Instagram. Um, it is therapy.with.natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E underscore. And um, on there, I have a link to the practice I work for. It's um, samanthagersontherapy.com if anyone wants to check wants to check that out too so thank you so much yay benjamin where are we finding you uh you can find me at the mental health quest podcast primarily um but i do also have another podcast that i am starting up it is called my hero therapy it is uh, a deep dive into the psychology of the my hero academia anime to learn the lessons of how to be a hero in real life uh, so you can find me there at My Hero Therapy on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and My Hero Therapy Podcast at gmail.com. And as usual, you can find me everywhere at Nat20Therapy um, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my website is www, guess what, Nat20Therapy.com. I'm at True Form Unseen on TikTok as well. So if you need to find me, I'm everywhere. Thank you, Natalie, so much for coming on. This is such a good, good episode, you know, very supportive episode and getting the message out, right? 
Um, that's what we're here for. So I really appreciate you coming on and helping us reduce that stigma surrounding addictions. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it was so fun just chatting with you guys. Yay! Thank you so much for being here. All right. When we will see you all next time. Bye. 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 Please take care of yourselves and make today amazing. Mm-hmm.